Isaiah chapter 53. Beneath the cross of Jesus, I fain would take my stand. You know, a lot of our troubles and problems and sorrows and anxieties as Christians often come because we wander too far from the shadow of Calvary. If we could but learn by faith to abide under the shadow of Calvary, nothing in this life would be able to disturb us or shaken us or trouble us if we could but look in the face of our suffering Savior and realize all the things he suffered. We could never, ever, ever compare to any sufferings that we have. And then in all his sufferings, in all his pains, in all his sorrows, and his acquaintance with grief was for our benefit and that we would find rest in Him and all that He is. There's an old hymn we didn't sing this morning, which I wish to quote after we read these three verses in Isaiah 53. Who hath believed our report? To whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Let me stop there and just add a word of encouragement to those of you this morning who are truly saved. You can put yourself after these questions. And from my smitten heart, I cry to wonders, the wonders of his amazing love and my own worthiness. To whom hath, to who hath believed our report to this eye, God, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed, you have revealed it to me. We could actually close our Bibles this morning and all go home with the mere meditation of these words and find the greatest of all comfort. For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry, dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. You remember that day? Right before the Lord enlightened you, you've seen no beauty in Him. That you should desire Him, but oh, when the Holy Spirit of God and the preaching of the Word enlightened your eyes, there was nothing more beautiful, nothing more glorious, nothing more amazing in the face of Jesus Christ. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. That old hymn we did not sing, stricken, stricken smitten, and afflicted, says, Ye who think of sin but lightly, nor suppose the evil great, here may view its nature rightly. Here its guilt may estimate. Mark the sacrifice appointed. 
See who bears the awful load. Tis the word, the Lord's anointed, Son of Man and Son of God. I was reminded this week as I witnessed to a colleague that sinful man would estimate his guilt and sins by comparing himself with other men. I'm not as sinful as that murderer or that drunkard. I'm a morally good man. And any vain thoughts of redemption by his own works of righteousness. I do a lot of good. I help a lot of people. I don't judge anybody. I try to love all mankind. Yet, beloved, as one is to truly know the great evilness of sin and its guilt and the terrible consequences an unimaginable judgment of God for such sins, one must look to the passion, suffering, and sacrifice which the Son of Man and Son of God endured for said sins and guilt. We spend so much time to get today in preaching of the Gospel trying to convince men their need of Christ without showing them a crucified Savior. Sinful man will never understand, uh, never totally comprehend the weight of his guilt and sin until he sees the sacrifice Christ paid on Calvary. We must lead them to Calvary, not to the resurrection of itself, which is a glorious thing. Don't misunderstand me. But we've got to lead them to understand Calvary. Calvary. Look at Christ. Look at the punishment Christ made for sins and guilt. This past week when I was trying to talk to this individual, kept saying about his good works and how good he is and how moral he is, and I'd always tell him, look, this Sunday the world's going to be celebrating what you call Easter. But Friday came before Easter. What was the whole purpose of Christ being crucified? What was the purpose of God sending His own Son into the world to be crucified? If you're good enough to get to heaven, why did He even come to earth? Why did He even sacrifice Himself? If you're good enough to get to heaven, and I could not get through the individual. He, he was so confident in Himself and His moral works. I encouraged him. I said, take the Bible and read Isaiah 53. And think about it and contemplate it. The gospel that they call the gospel today in many places is not the gospel. It's an attempt to persuade men their need of a Savior without showing them the guilt, the sacrifice, and the consequences of sin. Where can we show them that except Calvary? Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul explains it clearly. First Corinthians chapter 1 verse 17. 
Paul said, For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. The gospel, the cross of Christ. For the preaching of the cross, His crucifixion, is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and I will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after then in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ, what? Crucified. Under the Jews a stumbling block, and under the Greeks foolishness. We preach Christ crucified. We can't persuade a man of his guilt and of his sins. We must show him the consequences of his sin and guilt. And that can only be seen in the crucified Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, Paul says again, And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. He says, For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ. Isaiah, the prophet, declared him in verses 1 and 2. Jesus Christ, the tender plant. No form, no comeliness. When we shall see him, there's no beauty. That's Jesus Christ. Not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ, his person, and that person crucified. Now, do you understand what crucified means? They knew back then, what crucifixion meant. Again, Paul, 2 Corinthians 5, 20 and 21, Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. Why? For He hath made Him to be sin for us. Who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. He made Him to be sin for us. Beloved, if we were ever, ever to convince the sinner his need of Christ, we have to lead him to Calvary. We have to lead him to Christ crucified. He must see the consequences of sin that were poured out on Christ. He'll never understand or he'll never acknowledge him being sinful until we show him the consequences of the sin and guilt which he bears that Christ alone bore on Calvary. That's why Isaiah 53 is so important for every child of God to know and understand and desire to tell others. May we be determined not to know anything among men save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. 
lead them to a crucified Savior. Let them survey the same cross that we did before God converted us. Let them see the smitten Christ on Calvary. Isaiah 53, verse 3, He is despised and rejected of men. A man of sorrows. So you want to stop there for a minute. It's the first time he, he refers to him as a man. And he says he's a man of sorrows. Acquainted with grief. <laughs> Proving Christ identified with our sorrows and our griefs which sin brought. A man of sorrows. Acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. There are two distinct truths concerning our text this morning which I wish to bring to your attention. For though the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but in us which are saved it is the power of God. And I hope and pray as we go through these two points we would be as God's children once again <laughs> inspired to love Christ even more. What he all did for us, what he all suffered for us. I'm telling you, dearly beloved, if you have worries and cares and troubles and anxiety, go back to the cross of Calvary. Survey Christ. And know that all that He suffered was for us. First of all, we need to see and understand who it is that is despised and rejected. Now listen to me real closely. In the context of what we've already studied and preached on, we need to understand who it is that is despised and rejected. It's none other than He that is in verse 2. He who shall grow up before Him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. And I believe we'll all agree that that is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. He it is who is despised and rejected. He, verse 2, is despised and rejected. I want to be careful how I begin this because I really want you to comprehend this. In verse 2, we have a declaration of Christ condescending, his humble, low state, his becoming flesh. That same Christ, the prophet would say in verse 3, is despised and rejected. It wasn't enough for Christ to condescend and take on flesh. Think about it for a minute. I want to speak directly uh, this morning mostly to God's children, even though I hope and pray if you're lost, God will give you understanding in this because uh, I believe it's to those whom the report has been believed and to whom the arm of the Lord has revealed that can understand this. Without Christ, you're not going to understand this. But with Christ, opening your eyes, I pray you would. Sounds like a paradox, doesn't it? It wasn't enough for Christ to condescend and take on flesh. It wasn't enough to humble Himself that He had no form, nor comeliness, nor beauty, glory, or majesty that we should desire Him, but that He should also be despised and rejected of men. Think about that for a minute. It wasn't enough for God to take upon flesh, but He had to be despised and rejected of men. He had to be a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. 
and one that people does not esteem. It wasn't enough for him simply to become flesh. You would think that would be enough for the Almighty God, the Creator of heaven and earth. He simply came down and became flesh and humbled Himself. He's of low estate. But that's not enough. This same God who did all that, instead of being embraced for doing that, instead of being honored and glorified for doing that, they reject and despise Him. He was to be a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we would hide our faces from Him. And we would esteem Him not. Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Beloved, we see here the great depth of man's sinful depravity and the unimaginable darkness which holds him captive. For what grounds do they have for their despising and rejecting him? Follow me. What grounds in verse 3 do they have of despising and rejecting him? Up till now, the prophet has said no words of condemnation, no declaring of divine judgment, and yet still he says he's despised and rejected of men. I could understand if verses 1 and 2, there was something about a divine judgment upon them for not believing him or uh, condemnation. There's nothing so far in the text that explains why they should despise and reject him. That's the depravity of man. He so hates God that it doesn't matter what he does. The sinner don't understand the animidity, the enmity he has between him and God. He doesn't understand how separated, how far he is away from God. God has done nothing yet so far in our text to cause man to despise him and reject him, and yet he does. Beloved, this is an amazing report. It's no wonder the prophet says, who hath believed our report? Think about it. Pilate cried before the multitudes who accused Christ. He says, I find no fault at all in this man. Why are you crucifying him? Why do you want him dead? I find no fault in him. Why do we believe that the sinner has some kind of good in him that he can choose God? There's nothing in him he likes about God. If you don't believe the total depravity of man, you don't know your scripture or you don't know yourself. Man by nature hates God. And it was not so much for his low estate, his humble condescension, his having no form nor comeliness. It wasn't for because he had no beauty that they should desire him, nor because he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, nor because they esteemed him not, but it was because of our sins and our iniquities, listen to me, and our transgressions that the Lord had laid on him the iniquity of us all. This is why man despises the cross. This is why it's foolishness unto him. The world today says, hey, I can accept a babe in a cradle. I can even accept Christ coming into the world. You know how many people today around the world now are celebrating so-called Easter? 
And afterwards, go look for Easter eggs and Easter bunnies and all that other kind of stuff, which is in a way despising rejecting Christ, I believe. Why they're doing all that? Oh, no, they'll believe that. They'll say, oh, Christ came, just like the individual I talked with last week. He said, oh, I believe in Christ. I said, yeah, but you, you don't understand. Your, your belief in Christ is not biblical. Your, your belief is, is all grounded on what you think, who you think God is. It's not scriptural. Well, yeah, but I don't condemn anybody, and I don't judge anybody, and I try to love all mankind. You don't understand. I said, you don't understand. Why did he even come? Why did Good Friday happen? Why did he die on Calvary? Why? Well, you, we need to try to I said, listen, nobody in the world could love better than God, right? God is love. Oh, yeah, God is love. Well, Christ was God manifest in the flesh. He came into this world. He did nothing wrong. He did nothing wrong. He didn't break one law. Peter said there was no guile found in his mouth. No deceit. No sin. Pilate says, I find no fault at all. He did nothing wrong, and they still hated and despised him. Why? Because he was light and they were darkness. Simple as that. He was light and they were darkness. Christ loved better than anybody. What did they do to Christ? Well, you know, I just, I'm not like you. I don't condemn and I don't judge. I said, I'm not condemning and judging. I said, I'm, Scripture does all that. I said, just look at Scripture. Scripture does that. Well, I'm, I said, why then did Christ come? Why did he die on the cross? Why did he suffer so much? Why would God allow his son to go through all that if you didn't need that, that you were good enough to get to heaven? The world believes in all of that. They believe even that Christ came into the world. Around the world today, and churches around the world today, they're sitting there saying, oh, we believe in a resurrection Christ. We believe that Christ came, and we believe it. But they don't believe Christ in regards of Him paying the debts of our sins and iniquities. They will not believe that He came because of our sins and our iniquities. They despise and reject Him because of their sins. And they do not want to believe that Christ bore those sins. The hymn says it best, the old rugged cross so despised by the world. Something happened miraculously on that cross. One of the soldiers in the midst of his crucifixion looked up and said, truly this was the Son of God, the Son of Man. And the thief on the cross, the one who wanted to be in the kingdom with Christ, he saw him first as the Savior before a king. We get that backwards. Oh, we're justly here, he says. We're justly condemned. He did nothing. How did he know he did nothing? Have you ever thought about that? How did he know he didn't? This guy has done nothing amiss. How did he know that? Did he follow Christ around? Was he walking amongst men? We have no record of that. Maybe he heard of some things. But for somehow he knew this was a perfect sacrifice. And that he did nothing, but I did everything wrong. Then he says, forget me not when you're in your kingdom. Beloved, when we preach the gospel, we cannot, we cannot avoid the cross. We cannot avoid the cross. The cross of Christ must be preeminent in the gospel. Not the hopes of eternal life. Not that you're going to die and rise again. Or not that you're going to be in the grave. The cross of Christ has to be essential. Preeminent. Look to the cross of Calvary. Over in John chapter 3. John chapter 3. 
in verse 16. We all know these verses, but let us look at them in the light of Isaiah 53. John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world. People say, there it is, God's love. Well, where was God's love manifested? Romans. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. It seems like many like to take out should not perish out of that context, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. We'll see there. There's no condemnation. Wait a minute. Listen to what he further says. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. Why? Because he had not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Now watch this. And this is the condemnation. Isaiah 53. He's despised and rejected. And this is the condemnation that light is come into the world and men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For every one that doeth evil hateth the light. Neither cometh to the light lest his deeds should be reproved or discovered. The condemnation, beloved, is not the light, but because men love darkness rather than light because of their evil deeds. The condemnation is not the light. I've heard so many preachers preach that in that reference. The condemnation is not the light. The light is good. Men are evil. The condemnation is not the light. The condemnation is men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light. Lest his deeds should be reproved or discovered. The condemnation is not the light. The condemnation is men love darkness. Like I said, the world says, give us a child in a manger, a Christ who walked amongst men doing miracles and wonders. Let men proclaim his low estate, even his deity. But tell us not of a crucified, suffering Savior upon whom the Lord laid on him all our iniquities. We will not accept that. We don't accept that. So who is the one in our text who is despised and rejected? It's the tender plant. The root of a dry ground. The one that has no form or comeliness. The one that when we see, that we shall see no beauty in him, that we should desire him. He has given them no reasons, no grounds to despise and reject him. Mankind has this funny idea that men automatically love Christ. They don't. Not the Christ of Scripture. Maybe their own. Man-made. You know, the idols today are worse than the idols in the past that were made of mortar and brick and stone. The idols today are in people's minds. And I'm telling you, that's one of the hardest things in the world to destroy. Once man has an opinion of himself, of who God is, I'm telling you, that's an idol that is not easily broken. What we have to deal with, dearly beloved, and I know we all doctrinally, theologically understand that, we have to deal with sinners who are totally depraved. There's no good in them. There's no sight in them. Just like we were before converted, there's no way they can see, understand anything without God. That's what we're dealing with. Anything short of the gospel, which is alone the power of God, 
cannot and will not reveal to them their need of Christ. So what do we do? Don't lead them to our own thoughts and minds and opinions and philosophy. Lead them to the cross of Christ. Lead them to Calvary. Look at Christ. We must know nothing but Christ and Him crucified. Somebody though something beeped in my ear there, brother. Something <clears throat> so many people today, the gospel they believe in is not a gospel of scripture, but a gospel of their own minds and philosophy and thoughts, and they've weakened it and they've taken the cross completely out of the gospel. Well, may God give us grace not to do that. Who is he that is despised and rejected? It is Jesus Christ. Secondly, and real quickly this morning. Who is it that rejects and despises him in our text? Now watch this. I want you to see this. Even though we read it and we just simply accept it, listen to the words. He is despised and rejected of men. Now let me stop there for a minute. Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom Paul said he was the chiefest. Who is despising and rejecting this Savior, this only hope and help for sinful, fallen, depraved man. Who is the only Savior? Christ. Yet who is despising Him? If you know not Christ this morning, you are. You say, no, I'm not. Yes, you are. Every time the Word of God is opened and every time the Gospel is preached and Christ is preached, and you deny him, you despise him. He's despised and rejected men of those for whom he came to save. Oh, wait a minute. We're getting into this thing of election and all. I'm saying of men. Listen to it. Of men. He's despised and rejected of men in general. All men. Think about that for a minute. Why are you making salvation so complicated? Why are you thinking, I'm so unworthy, he's not going to save me, oh, maybe I'm not one of the elect, or maybe I'm not called, or maybe it's not. Why are you making it so complicated? Why don't you listen to Christ and his gospel? Why don't you just... Listen to the simplicity of it. Unless you become like children and come unto me. If salvation was complicated, none of us in this room this morning would ever have hopes of salvation. You know what I felt like today? God convicted my sins and knew that I was condemned for hell. You know what I felt like? I felt like a nobody. Nothing. I felt like I had no power or energy of my own. If God didn't, if God didn't reach down and touch me and save me, I'd be lost forever. I was helpless. I was hopeless. And oh, that's when the arm of Christ reached out and picked me up out of sin and depravity and set me on a rock. Oh, and I'm telling you, beloved, that's salvation. Why do you make it so complicated? Every single time you hear the gospel and you're not saved, you despise and reject Christ. He came to save sinners. Could it be more simple than that? of men 
The heavens adore him. Child of God, think about these words. The heavens adore him. The angels in the height praise him. Sun and moon rejoice before him. The stars in heaven and creation below praise him. Yet sinful man for whom he would suffer and die would despise and reject him. We were that person at one time if you're saved. Do you know how good God is to you and I? One night just outside the barracks in Germany as I was on one of my unfortunate drinking runs with the friends of mine in the military, went to this old guest house and the lady that ran it, everyone called her mom. She's an old lady, heavyset lady. She got converted. And I went in there one night and one of my buddies started cursing God and blaspheming God. And this old rugged German woman lived through Second World War, went over to him and literally grabbed his ear and dragged him outside on that hot summer night. And she said, in her broken English, she said, now you look up into that heaven. Do you see all them stars? She said, somebody created that. And it was God. And you stop despising my God or get out of my establishment. To this day, I remember those words and they still shook me. God has so many ways of leading and guiding a sinner to him. Each one of us can speak of different experiences of salvation. Some, it was through rough times. Some through good times. But I'm telling you something. God speaks in a way that is distinctly different from others. And he speaks to every sinner like he speaks to you this morning. If you would just believe his word. If you would just believe. Well, preacher, you can't believe without God. I know the theological discourse in that. But I'm telling you, this is the gospel. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. What must I do to be saved? He cried to Paul. Paul said, well, first you need to understand the five points of Calvinism. No, he didn't say that. He said, believe in the Lord. Oh, if it was more complicated than that, we'd all be condemned to hell forever. He's despised and rejected of men. Listen to me. Christian as well, not a few, not by some, but by all men. For Romans chapter 3 says, For there is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. There was a time when we as Christians didn't understand. We didn't seek after God. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, every single one of us. None is worthy of this. None is capable of of receiving this on their own. Who hath believed our report, whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Now look with me at Romans chapter 10. In the light of Isaiah and what I just said, Romans chapter 10, I want you to listen to this. Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, look in verse 6. Now listen, 
to the word of God. But the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise. Say not in thine heart who shall ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above. Or who shall descend into the deep, that is to bring Christ up again from the dead. But what saith it? The word is nigh thee. Listen, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. Paul says it's in your mouth, in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus Christ, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. No circumstances here, no requirements but to confess and to believe in your heart. Listen to this. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. With the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Confession of sins. With the heart man believeth unto righteousness. With the mouth confession is. For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him should not be condemned. Follow me now. Shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You say, preacher, that just, just sounds so easy. Yeah, it is. Paul said it. It's in your mouth and it's in your heart. You see, by faith, Christ and his sufferings are transformed from despised and rejected to admired, loved, and cherished. Well, that old rugged cross so despised by the world has a wondrous attraction for me. For the dear Lamb of God left his glory above to bear it to dark Calvary. You see, they despised and rejected him because he bore their sins, which they wanted to deny and reject. That was ugly to them. That was darkness to them. They, had, they loved their evil deeds. But once, by faith, we believe in Christ, that which once was abhorrable to our eyes is now something of beauty and glory, majesty, as a wondrous, a wondrous attraction to me. In that old rugged cross, stained with blood so divine, a wondrous beauty I see. For twas on that old cross Jesus suffered and died to pardon and sanctify me. You see now why Isaiah 53 should mean so much to the believer. We read through Isaiah 53 going, oh, it was for my sins, for my iniquities, for my transgressions. He was buried with the wicked. The Father seen the travail of his soul. Oh, and he was satisfied. And I'm part of that seed. Isaiah 53 is something of wondrous beauty. It's not a horrible in our eyes. It's not, we don't reject it. We don't despise it. We embrace it. We embrace everything. You want to see the love of God? You want to see the love of God? Let me show you the love of God. It's not a giving you everything you want. It's not I'm providing you a long life, giving you riches. You want to see the love of God? Let me show you the love of God. I want you to look at Calvary. I want you to see the thorn of crowns. I want you to see how they beat him up and bruised him, beat him with a cat of nine tails where his flesh, which in chunks, would flew off his back. Some of his bones were showing. It even says in Isaiah 52, he was marred beyond any form. He was disfigured. That's how he is. You want to see the love of God? Look at Christ on Calvary, bleeding, suffering, dying, dying and bleeding. That's the love of God. For the sinner, that's something he abhors. He hates it. Can't stand it. Will not. He'll despise it and reject. For the child of God, oh, I'm telling you, it's the most beautiful sight in the world. 
a wondrous beauty. It was I, it was I that deserved your place. That's what the old hymn says. Did I cause his pain? My faith has found a resting place, not in the life nor creed. The last part of that verse says, his wounds shall plead for me. Whenever Satan crawls up on my shoulder and says, you're not worthy, I say, I'm not. He says, you're not going to make it to heaven? Yes, I am. You can't make it. You're no good. You fail. You fall. You make sins. I know I do. And I just turn and say, but his wounds, his wounds shall plead for me. For you see, I'm not getting into heaven on my own. I told that individual this week, I said, you know that you cannot get to heaven unless you're just as righteous and holy as God. And he said, well, nobody's that way. I said, you're right. But I know someone who is. Well, yeah, Jesus Christ, yeah. And then I quoted, but he was made sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And I said, you know what made that possible? Calvary. Beloved, as God's children, we should find great comfort and hope and assurance and peace in the sufferings of our Savior. And yes, we take great peace and joy and satisfaction in his raising from the dead. A man even tried to hinder that. We'll put a stone in front of it. We'll put a Caesar seal on it or we'll put Titus seal on it. He won't get up out of that grave. Now they showed up and the rock was rolled away and an angel sitting on it like it was nothing. They entered in and everything's folded so neatly at the head and foot like somebody just took the rags off and just gently and slowly folded them together. No frantic tearing them off and running out. Christ didn't do that. He just folded it together. I'm telling you, when he raised on that day, when he raised on that day, we were raised with him. Why do you despise and reject Christ? He's done nothing to you. He's done nothing to you. But come to save you. That's the gospel. May the Lord open up your eyes and may he reveal his arm unto you this morning that you might come to know Christ as we do. And child of God, may we, as we go through Isaiah 53, <laughs> may we enjoy every single portion that we read that we might remind it of how much our Savior loved us. Amazing love, how can it be? Thank the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, again, I'm reminded that mortal words can never do you justice. Lord, we ask that your word would go out in power and your spirit would convict. And Lord, if there's someone here this morning, and surely there be, who knows not Christ, 
Lord, I pray that you would draw them to you with cords of eternal love. Father, I pray that, Lord, you'd reveal the Son unto them. And as you reveal the Son, may the Son reveal the Father. And may they know something of the peace of God in Christ Jesus. May they know the peace of knowing no condemnation now for me. Oh, dear Lord, I pray, be honored and glorified in saving sinners. Lord, help us, Lord, as we preach the gospel to ever keep the cross of Christ preeminent, the central thing. And as we lift you up on that cross of Calvary, Lord, may you draw all men unto yourself. Lord, we ask that now you be honored and glorified in all we say and do. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.